Ian was talking to a friend of his the other day, and they pointed out that the ampersand symbol has a weird origin. Yeah, it's not just a squiggle. Uh, hey, Jesse Scheidlauer from the Oxford English Dictionary, what, what can you tell us? The ampersand is basically a, an image of one way of writing uh, et, et, which is the Latin word for and. The top part of the ampersand, the round part at the top, uh, depending on how it's written, is the e of et, and the crossed part uh, in the bottom in the bottom right is the t. Yeah, you can kind of see that it's a you know an e and a t smashed together. Yes, and the f- one way that we that you know that the ampersand represents et rather than the English word and uh, is that it, when you see, especially in older texts. ETC for etc. Uh, that is often written as ampersand C. Oh, really? Uh, yes. So you know that's showing that that the ampersand represents et rather than the English word and. Where does the word ampersand even come from? Uh, the word ampersand is actually that's itself an interesting thing. It's a corruption of the phrase, well, and that is the character ampersand is intrinsically the word and. The ampersand means and. So and per se and you know, is a way of remembering what the ampersand <laughs> character means. So the ampersand means and. It's really like the longest possible way you can say and. Yes, it doesn't seem like it's the best way to remember it, that like if you can figure it out, you're, you've already got down the fact that an ampersand means and. Another uh, punctuation mark that I see a lot and is referred to in many different ways, is the pound sign or the number sign. What's the preferred uh, name for that symbol? Well, there is no preferred name. Uh, There are many preferred names. Uh, The pound sign is one, the number sign, uh, the hash sign, and of course, you know, hashtags, uh, you know, from from Twitter, uh, one of the big successes of this punctuation mark. Uh, And of (laughs) course, the most famous one is the Octothorpe, which is a name coined at Bell Labs, uh, with the octo apparently representing the number of points on the mark, uh, and it was intended somewhat, somewhat humorously, although there are different origins, different different stories about exactly where the name came from, but it's, it does seem to be a Bell Labs thing from the 1960s. And some people still use this, some people use it mainly because it sounds like a much more elaborate name for what it is, which is, of course, the whole pleasure in, in using a word like Octothorpe. Yeah. Just imagine if we had Octothorpe tags on Twitter, if, if we had gone that way instead. Yeah, much more, much more difficult. Yeah. (laughs) This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. On today's show, we'll tell you how to cheer at a basketball game. And how to fit in with the other stormtroopers. But first, cicadas, giant bugs, are taking over the East Coast. You may have heard about this. This may be in your front yard. A huge brood, uh, brood number two it's called, emerged after 17 years growing underground. There's an area from uh, North Carolina to Connecticut where they outnumber people now 600 to 1. So what do you do with all those bugs? Yeah, uh, one thing you could do, you could eat them. Andrew Zimmern hosts Bizarre Foods on the Travel Channel. So, Andrew, have you ever eaten a cicada? Well, do you know something I haven't? And and the reason is because the hatches are, are in the broods are in certain yearly cycles and the the last of this brood that is that is coming out uh of the ground as we speak predates my fascination with uh with bug eating 
Um, but I have eaten uh, large bugs, cicada-sized, um, that while don't have the exact same lifestyle, um, certainly are some of my more favorite bugs in the bug-eating world simply because the myriad different ways that you can prepare them. Wait, so what, tell, tell, tell me what bugs are we talking about here? Well, size matters in the bug world. With, with ants, if you imagine something that's very small, um, throw it into a deep fryer. Essentially, it's, it's, it's overcooked by the time it, it hits the oil. But when you're talking about you know, rhinoceros beetles, jewel beetles, giant horned beetles, uh, um, giraffe beetles, uh, and June bugs, uh, I'm trying to. I'm sure I'm blanking on a half dozen other types of of bugs that I've eaten. Large bumblebees, uh, very big grasshoppers, um, where there's actually heft involved in the bug. Neat. And then you can clean them and prepare them because they can stay in contact with the cooking source uh, or heat source longer. Wait, wait. You said clean the bugs. Like do you like dre- clean and dress them like you would like a deer that you've hunted. Absolutely. You have to. I mean, these cicadas are so big, you sling a rope over a tree, haul them up and <laughs> eviscerate them. No, silly. Come on. The, uh, but I do mean removing legs and wings. Um, with bugs of that size, um, collect them with a net, keep them in a bucket. Um, you know, water will help uh, wet the wings so they won't fly. You have to sit down and actually clean these. And they're a big enough bug. They need to be cleaned for culinary enjoyment. Take the wings off, take the legs off. If they have a hard covering over the tops of their heads, the carapace, it comes off just the way the top shell of a crab comes off. Count on about, you know, uh, half a cup, maybe two-thirds of a cup of cicadas, you know, for a healthy portion for an adult uh, for dinner. I think the best way to do it is to cook them in a wok. A little bit of peanut oil to glaze, ginger, garlic, scallion, sugar, a whole hot chili or two, maybe some fermented black beans in there, saute those for a second to, uh, to get the aroma out of them and the, get the wok nice and fiery hot. In go your bugs. Um, I happen to think that uh, julienne string beans, uh, pea shoots, other greenery, uh, maybe some steamed uh, gailan, Chinese broccoli would be good, or bok choy. Um, give that a toss or two at very high heat so that they scorch Maybe finish it with a little bit of soy or, or oyster sauce. That's all you need. And put them in the middle of the table. Serve it with some, you know, delicious uh, Asian short grain rice. And I really don't think you're going to be disappointed. If you just want to experience eating them and you just have a handful that you're grabbing because, you know, they're, they're stuck to the back uh, screen door, take four or five of them. Heat up, you know, in a small one-quart saucepan, about a cup of peanut oil till it's about 365 degrees, uh, wings off, legs off, drop them in, fry them for a couple of minutes, drain them on a paper towel and sprinkle them with sea salt, um, mm. and uh, I think you'll really enjoy them. And so t- tell me, you know, if, if uh, you were a waiter describing to somebody what their experience of eating this was going to be like, what would you say? Uh, supremely textural, uh, grassy, um, and uh, and beefy notes to it. And remember, <laughs> these animals are sizable, so there's some bite and crunch to it. You mentioned bumblebees, and I'm curious: are they? Do they taste sweet? 
<laughs> Do you know something? Um, it's it. The first thing I thought when I ate them was, is that bumblebee fur going to get in my teeth? And then, like, will they taste like honey? And the answer is neither. They're one of the cleanest, most delicious bugs out there. You would love them. Really? Because I feel like I'd be disappointed because they, they, they feel like they should be like a dessert bug. Because of now, the, that the honey. is that is very interesting. Dessert bugs. I haven't. I have a lot of. I have a lot of famous pastry chefs. I, I ought to challenge them to do bug desserts. So, uh, of all the things, though, and I, most of the experiences are, are good. But of all the things, what is one the one thing that when you sit down and somebody serves it to you, you're you're just thinking, oh no, not this again. Well, it's probably um, it, it's a bigger category than you might think, and it's the uh, it's the category of the poorly cooked. Um, I, I was I was in Ecuador, and these giant coconut grubs live their life eating rotted uh, coconut palm, uh-huh. and they're one of the most disgusting, pussy, oversized <laughs> you know uh, bugs in the animal kingdom. They're they're horrific. The reason they're horrific is that their 90% of their body weight is this is this giant bag of a stomach uh, that contains all this digested rotted wood. So you can imagine how bad these animals taste. Yeah. Sure. Um, in the Philippines, um, they had simply uh, sautéed them, kind of flown them through a warm kitchen in a pan. I mean, they they really they briefly cooked them, yeah. and they uh, and they don't sauce them, and they're eaten, and it's it's a very tough experience. This, by the way, is that white giant wiggly worm the size of your thumb that's always showing up on Survivor episodes that they make people eat, you know, and all the TV shows love yeah. putting a coconut grub in someone's hand. Um, I'm on the banks of the of the Pilchi River, headed down into the Amazon jungle on the southeastern uh, side of Ecuador. And um, we were at a jungle market, and someone was roasting these bugs. I didn't know what they were. And I saw that they were these bugs that in the Philippines they called uwak, and I was, I was just horrified. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to eat these things for lunch. But I noticed that these ones were smelled delicious, and they were crispy, and they were serving them like twelve on a skewer with a piece of yuca at the end. And the in the the Indians who live on the river there flick the stomach out with their thumb and drop the bodies of these uwak into a a bucket of sour orange juice, a wild sour orange that grows in the jungle. So this sweet, sour orange juice marinates these bugs, and then they're grilled over a hot fire until they're crispy like chicken skin. Yeah. And I probably ate three or four skewers like that every day for the rest of my trip. They were so ridiculously phenomenal, which is a long way of saying not only is there a right way and a wrong way to cook everything, but the thing that I'm most afraid of is those grubs in the Philippines. Well, Andrew, this is great. It's uh, I'm surprisingly hungry after this Aren't conversation you know? yeah i, feel I like have I can that do effect it. on people hey logan what can we help you with i go to my friend's basketball game and um i don't know when to clap or cheer because like when he almost gets a basket but like misses i don't know whether i should clap for that because he missed or like clap because it's like good try, sure stuff like that. What level ba- basketball is this? Is this uh, college, high school, NBA? Uh, no, like littler basketball. Littler basketball. Yeah. All right. Should it be the same for all of them? 
Well, I think I think you're right. I think what you're struggling with here, if I I don't want to put words in your mouth, Logan, but it sounds like you want to support your friend who's playing basketball, but you don't want to stand out from the other people there cheering cheering on the team. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna try and find somebody to help you, Logan. Okay. All right, bye, Logan. Bye. That's certainly something we can help Logan with. Yeah, in fact, the the NBA Combine is happening right now here in Chicago. Now, if you're not familiar, the NBA Combine, that's where uh, players that are going to be entering the NBA, uh, they go and it's it's kind of like a tryout. They show off how fast they can run, how high they can jump, some of their skills. Yeah, these are the guys that we just watched uh, compete in the March Madness tournament. So Blythe is going to go down there and she's going to ask these guys how to cheer at a basketball game. And uh, if she's lucky, she might get picked up by the T-Wolves. What makes a good basketball fan? Um, just showing support at every game. Even when you lose, you know, still support the team. Uh, even when you win, still support the team. But I mean, I think when, when you lose, uh, players want to still feel that comfort from their fans and just know that their fans are on their side. I started this game uh, six years ago, so all my friends understand that, you know, I'm going to support me and do, you know, be uh, get my back. If you've seen something you really like, just clap. Like, don't worry about what nobody else feels about you. There's no such thing as being a bad fan. Uh, I mean, just, yeah, just just cheer whenever whenever you want to accept in the, at the free throw line. You can't be yelling, you know, at the free throw line when someone's trying to focus. Or make sure you have a friend if you look, like, kind of on your own look kind of weird but then like you know you gotta have friends to kind of yeah make it not look weird uh face paint uh signs clever signs not not anything uh you know come up with something clever uh and then you just gotta be loud that's all you gotta do (laughs) yeah do you have a do you have a fan that you like love in particular one of your friends who's the best or a family member there are two people um that drive two hours to every duke home game they always face paint it's actually like a grown married couple and um, they always have candy for me after the game, so those are my favorite fans. Have you ever had a friend uh, go a little overboard when they're at one of your games? Um, not, not a friend, but my, my mom, you know, in high school and, and things like that, uh, if I miss a rebound, she, she'll be yelling and, you know, I mean, every, everybody will be watching her. It's, it's kind of funny. Do you have uh, a specific way you watch your brother's games or your brother watches your, your games? Do you drive each other nuts? Uh, no, I mean, I just... I, don't, I try not to uh, tell him, give him too much advice or negative advice about it because he's getting that all the time. But uh, when I watch the games, I'm nervous, like just like anybody else, and probably more nervous than I am for my games. And uh, uh, just try to, like I said, just be positive with him and talk about other stuff other than basketball after the games. Okay, so you avoid the topic of basketball. You'll just talk about whatever else. Yeah, I mean, once you come out of a game, you're thinking about it all the time, no matter what. So if you can talk about something other than basketball or what just happened, it makes you feel a lot better. Anything you shouldn't do? Take off your top and swirl it around. I think that's kind of inappropriate, especially for junior high. So Don't do anything crazy, you know, like running down the court with your shirt off or anything like that. The, the people that are, uh, you know, pretty neg- negative to the other guys are never good fans, but there, there are a lot of them out there. Um, but, um, yeah, so I, I'd say stay positive. You don't want to hassle the refs too much, but, you know, you can give a little jokes their way at the refs, and uh, you know, that's always fun. The future NBA stars you heard there were Reggie Bullock, Gorgie Jang, Kenny Kaji, Vander Blue, Stephen Adams, Mason Plumley, Seth Curry, Ryan Kelly, and Brandon Paul. And Blay. Hey, Paul. What can we do for you? 
Uh, well, I um, always wanted to make a stormtrooper costume. All right. And um, I've never really had either the money or the equipment or the time. And I was wondering if you guys knew a, a cheap, high-quality, easy way to go about doing it. Well, what are you planning to do with the the costume? Are you doing anything? Are you planning to take over? <laughs> well, I um, you know, I'm in the army, and I spend a lot of time away from my family, and I wanted my to make a a small Darth Vader costume for my seven year old and be one of his stormtroopers and go to like a a comic con or, or or just you know pal around town. That sounds adorable. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, we have uh, we have an expert, uh, I think, who, who can help you out on the line with us uh, as well. John, are you there? I am. I am. All right. And I guess before we get into it, why don't you uh, tell us about uh, how you're qualified as a member of the Empire? Sure, absolutely. So um, I, I actually started much the same way. Originally, I wanted to build a small Star Wars costume for my son, who was eight at the time, and built uh, a Boba Fett costume for him. And I wanted to go as Darth Vader along with him and uh, began putting that together. And through that, got introduced to a, a group called the 501st. And through that, got introduced to Lucasfilm. And I've been their Darth Vader for uh, the last couple of years doing special events and programs for them. And so, like, if I show up at a convention and there's an official Darth Vader there, that's probably you. If you're out here in the uh, on the West Coast in in Northern California, it could likely be me. There's a couple of us actually here. Um, it's like Santa, you know. There's not just one. Yeah, <laughs> and also like the opposite of Santa, being Darth Much Vader. Much the opposite yeah. of Santa, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We love to take toys away. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so John Paul is looking to build. A, it sounds like a stormtrooper costume. What's the secret to building a, a tiny a Darth Vader or stormtrooper costume? Time. Honestly, that's one of the biggest things. I, you know, when I built the Boba Fett for my son, it took a much longer than I had originally thought. Um, and so, Paul, what I, you know, what I would recommend is uh, a couple of different things you might look at. Certainly, one of the least expensive. Um, to do is something called Pepakura, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. You use cardstock, actually, to make it, and it's a lot like making a giant origami. And there's some great sites on it. If you, if you Google it, it's uh, P-E-P-A-K-U-R-A. Um, you'll find the main site, and you'll find a lot of other sites. And if you um, Google Pepakura Stormtrooper, um, you should have no problem finding some great plans for it. Uh, well, I was just going to say, so, John, when uh, something else that, that Paul uh, uh, might want to prepare for, when you when you are walking around as Darth Vader, I imagine uh, there are people who uh, take you maybe more seriously than they should. So when you're, when you're in a convincing costume, what's it like to, to interact with... Uh, people who maybe don't like Darth Vader. Everybody loves Darth Vader. What are you talking about? <laughs> You're swarmed, and I think you've got to be prepared for that. And if you go out on Halloween, um, uh, you know, my son and I had people stopping us on the street and taking pictures. And so, Paul, you'll, you'll get lots of attention, trust me. And lots of lightsaber duels, I, I imagine. <laughs> you will find that, and that's, that's a lot of fun. And honestly, it's, that's, the best part for me is, is the kids. You know, when the kids come up to you and they think it's really exciting. Why they're uh, drawn to the dark side, I don't know. (laughs) 
But I, you know, I always try to give them a good message. I say, you know, the, the force is with you. You're not a Jedi yet. Keep cleaning your room, and maybe someday. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> it is interesting. Both you guys, uh, John and Paul, you're you want to design uh, bad guy costumes for your kids. It, it's, yeah, you know what? It's shocking that I I don't know what the gravitation is. The first year when I did my son's costume, uh, he was a Jedi. But then the next year, and and for several years after, he always wanted to be the bad guy. So wow. did he give in to his anger? Is that what happened? I think that's what it was, and he has lots of it now. He's sixteen, so <laughs> <laughs> he has he's enough angst to be a professional barista. I'm afraid. Well, let's uh, let's try this. Assuming uh, we we get a good Darth Vader costume for for Paul's son. He's going to have to carry himself like Darth Vader. Um, John, do you have any tips there? You know, uh, standing very upright, shoulders, you know, put the put the hands out and and deepen your voice and, you know, use the force. And uh, listen to lots of James Earl Jones recordings, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's always good. Have you ever been in a situation at at an event where um you know, you're kind of on a break, and then somebody spots, I don't know, Darth Vader drinking a Mountain Dew. <laughs> it, yeah, it does happen from time to time. Uh, honestly, you know what? It's um, we're very careful not to take our helmets off in in front of the public. And in fact, when I was doing the Force Unleashed game launch, I was on stage with George Lucas, and the stage was raised about two and a half stories in the air. And when they asked me to do it, I said yes, but I said the problem with the Darth Vader helmet is that you cannot look down. You cannot look down, so there was no way for me to see the stairs. And I said, I'm going to have to have somebody help get me down. Well, once George Lucas was done and he left, everybody left with him. And I was left on stage with these hot stage bulbs beating down on me. Um, And uh, my fans and the helmet went out, and so the helmet fogged up. And I couldn't breathe, and the temperature went up about 30 degrees in the helmet, and I was essentially blind. Um, but you still can't take the helmet off, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so eventually, I moved over to the stairs and pretty much crawled down the stairs until wow. I could get to the bottom. I figured that was better than breaking the illusion, right? You know, <laughs> sort of. So it was uh, it was a very interesting experience. Well, uh, this is great, John. Thank you so much, uh, Paul. Do you have any other questions? No, um, that sounds. Sounds like a plan. Well, the goal here was to spend, wasn't it, to spend time with your son? Is the... Yeah, I've been looking at ways to spend time with him, and I won't have to spend all my time with him. <laughs> <laughs> we got about a year and a half, it looks like. Yeah, and I'll figure something else out. All right, well, good luck to you and your son. Thank you. We got an email from Roger. Roger was in a bike accident last week. He broke his collarbone. And he says he listens to our show while recovering on his couch. Roger, these next 15 seconds are for you. You can really feel the healing beginning with this song. Yeah. Not healing the world, which is what what this song is about. uh, Michael Jackson never recorded Heal the Collarbone. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? I learned that Darth Vader cannot see down out of his helmet. He can only see forward. Maybe all the things he missed not being able to see down is what made him so mean. Oh, like he never stopped and like saw flowers growing yeah, along the he side never, of the road. Yeah, he never saw flowers. He never saw 
a, a young Labrador retriever yeah, bounding towards him. It could have changed a lot. Think how many puppies he probably kicked. And also think how boring those movies would have been if he was just, just as nice as everyone else. There, there would have been Star Wars, A New Hope, The Empire Doesn't Mind What You Just Did, yeah. stuff like that. I love that idea of Luke walking in and he's like, I got you a fish for your aquarium. Happy birthday, son. Wait, you're my dad? Awesome. I learned that another name for the pound sign or the hashtag hash is Octothorpe. Yeah, I, it reminds me of the, the that James Bond movie, Octothorpe. How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Haga with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Anton. Congratulations. Good job, Anton Sella. It's really good work. You have to be a medical doctor to be our intern. Really rigorous. I'm not sure we've, we've thought this out well enough. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Roger.